0: Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of B2B NAV. Uh, in this week's version, the first of the new year, mm-hmm. 2021, I'll be asking Matt some questions and fielding him some of the latest marketing trends that people are discussing. I feel um, we should caveat that you've not told me what any of these no, are before we start. No, I thought it'd be <laughs> another fun one to do a as a surprise. I've taken a few trends from a few different lists, tried to keep them B2B focused, because obviously okay. B2C marketing trends are going to be quite different. Yep. So without further ado, I might dive in and Let's go see it. what your thoughts Let's are on this. Let's go these. for it, why not? So I'll start you off nice and easy. Okay. Um, I guess with everything going on, this probably isn't too much a surprise, but um, marketers will plan asynchronous events that plug into the funnel. Okay. And I can add to that, okay. and this is a direct quote from, from the article, your prospects get triggered into the event as they are processed into the right steps of your funnel. They engage with the event through multiple means, like Netflix meets Slack, video content to watch on demand live streams at play on site, a community of users and fans who can engage. Prospects learn about your solution, watch videos, chat with others, and then get directed to speak to your product team.
1: Okay, yeah. So, I mean, I guess this ties across various different aspects, doesn't it, from virtual events to content hubs to websites, I suppose, I the three kind of primary categories that you kind of touch in there in a way, Mm -hmm. all around brand, customer engagement. And I think, I think recent times of the pandemic has definitely forced people to reconsider the way they approach that, given they can't see as much as as people face to face to showcase products and services and meet with people. So I think you are going to see people addressing and adapting the way they approach that type of event going forward. What I would caveat that with is it's still early days in that, I think. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of options out there for virtual events. Obviously you've got your classic kind of website experience. I've not seen that many people doing it well yet, is what Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and I think particularly, which is interesting following on from a conversation I've had internally this morning here about our side of things, how that maps against that buyer's journey. Mm-hmm. So whether we do need to have more consideration about offering a differentiated uh, solution, depending on where people are at in that buying cycle. Mm-hmm. And I've not seen that done well yet, is what I mean. It's kind well, of a one size fits all.
0: That we talked about going back a few, probably a few months ago now. Mm-hmm is i guess the traditional thing that we think about when we start talking about virtual events and online events is is primarily this um it happens on a certain date mm-hmm. and it is a series of of to be honest webinars yep. and then that's it that's that's done the event's over whereas i think what this trend is really talking about is the fact that that doesn't need to be over and that it can you can drive people in based on where they are in the funnel and continue driving them back to it. I think
1: it also ties to, I don't know, I've been not, genuinely not seen it, what else are you going to come on to? But it also ties into that non-linear experience because that even a webinar, I'd think about that as a virtual event, it's a very linear process. You invite yeah. somebody, they turn up, they watch something, they maybe do a call to action, but the likelihood is they'll leave and you follow yeah. with a thanks for attending or sorry you missed it. That's it. That's yeah. the view through. Whereas what I get the impression what the the trends kind of forecasting there is that there'll be a more personalised non-linear route through it so depending on you what your needs are what your objectives are what you want your customer visitor prospect to to achieve from their visit in a way is more Mm personalised to them which is definitely the way we're seeing it going yeah exactly And, and
0: connected to that I won't count this as a separate trend, mm-hmm. but is that we'll see more live interactions rather than it just being broadcast. Because I think mm-hmm. the traditional way that you see these sort of things work is it's, it's one way communication. Yep. We talk at somebody through a webinar. Yes, they can chat and they can ask questions, but we know, uh, let's say 78% of the people probably don't ask questions mm-hmm. and it's all very one way. So. I think we'll start to see, or at least according to this trend, start to see that communication being more two-way people being able to ask follow-up questions. People being on mass or well. on one-on-one?
1: Because I think that's one of, the, one of the complications that you've got with that kind of prediction is, yeah, I, I agree. In principle, it sounds wonderful to have this two-way dialogue amongst attendees and hosts, let's call it, albeit um, there'll be several occasions where you as the host don't necessarily want your mm-hmm. attendees to interact with one another, desire them to have, have a direct dialogue. For them to even have knowledge of who else is at the event sometimes
0: I think either way would still count within this trend that I'm talking about now either way is interaction beyond just being spoken to because even in the traditional sense of a webinar when you ask a question that's still fairly one way yeah I mean yes you can you're asking a question potentially getting your question answered but it's still very anonymous Mm -hmm. you're not having a dialogue you've just submitted an anonymous question that may or may not get answered yeah okay Sounds good. So that'll be interesting to see how that one pans out. Mm-hmm. Obviously very tied into what we're doing in general. Yeah. Um, adopting an omni-channel marketing stren- uh, strategy will apparently happen more in 2021. How do you feel about that? And how do you think that ties into everything else? That we're I seeing think in-
1: omni-channel for me personally and BDB and B2B marketing was a phrase that came up more and more in 2020, probably started in 2019, was mm-hmm. a phrase the first I, I heard of. Um, obviously Omni's been around a while, but applied to a marketing yeah. kind of technique of this omni-channel experience. What I would say on that one is, not I might uh, run the risk of repeating myself when you say, I don't know what the others are, but in the sense of that's nothing new. Mm-hmm. I would say wherever your brand can be found or wherever people can interact or engage with your brand, you should be offering a consistent and engaging experience. Mm-hmm. I think that's more the point, whether you call it omnichannel or you call it a considered strategic communication mm-hmm. strategy, I would say is probably yeah. the same thing. But, think- but but, but, I don't think there's many people that do it very well at the minute. Mm-hmm. So I think that people want to be on everything. They want to be on LinkedIn. You see, I see it more probably from the social side of things. We need to have a presence on LinkedIn. We need to have a presence on Twitter. We need to have a presence on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is these days, even TikTok potentially. But when you're seeing that on the social side of things, it is sporadic, people's usage. And I think that's where you get more easily exposed of having a poor presence or an inconsistent presence at the minute.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we see that quite a lot. But then thinking back to some of the campaigns that we've done in 2021, so just in one case, we personally ran a rather successful ABM campaign for a mm-hmm. client. Yep. And that... Um, was, was very omnichannel and that we were, we were working across multiple channels. And I think anything like that is mm-hmm. inherently going to be omnichannel. It's not thinking about what can we do with digital. It's not thinking about what can we do with our traditional sales team. It's taking all the different channels that you dispose on, thinking strategically about how you can yep. make that work together and, and uh, you know, achieve your objective. In that case, obviously driving uh, leads from particular target accounts.
1: I also think tied back to the evolution of the Evolved Content Hub online event offer and everything else rather than having this omnipresence where you've maybe got 10 or 20 different places where people can find you, consolidating that into one central source of truth where you've got the more of the uh, consistent experience and obviously they've got to be able to find it and they're going to be invited to it so it's a slightly different play of how you get people there mm-hmm. but that's also what that provides as well where you can have everything kind of housed in one in, in one building, one mm-hmm. unit, where they can come and engage with the branded experience on a consistent basis as mm-hmm. well. So it's just tied together, probably a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And on the subject of not new, mm-hmm. content marketing. Really. So content marketing <laughs> being touted as a must-have of 2021, I think I've definitely heard the term content marketing being bandied around in, in terms of trends lists for at least six or seven years, probably longer.
1: What What do you class as content marketing? I am I'm throwing this back at you because I think it's, it's, this is the point that always makes me sort of laugh a little bit.
0: For, for me, it's just using content to drive continued engagement with your audience. Content being anything. Pretty much anything. Blog posts, potentially emails, you know, specific piece of collateral that you're creating, white papers, things like that. Obviously, then we go into the social media content, video content, all that kind of thing.
1: So for, for me, what I mean is content marketing is definitely nothing new because mm-hmm. if you take all that away that you've just said, you're not actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. So what, what diff- it's evolved, what you would say is the communication strategy and um, your communications tactics almost in a way have evolved over time and there's still a place for email, there's still a place for editorial, there's still a place for press exhibitions, there's still a place for video. There's AI now and VR and AR and all these other wonderful things that are coming to life. Mm-hmm it's all content you're still producing something that you want people to engage with and Mm -hmm. i think what's more important these days beyond content is the content strategy Mm -hmm. and i think that's where people go wrong that they decide we're going to do a video but don't think why the video how it will be amplified where people can find it what's the call to action what's the next step in the journey Mm -hmm. so i think when it comes to content the, the strategic aspects are equally if not more important than what content you're producing
0: yeah and from my point of view I feel like what I often see is is there's an awful lot of content out there Mm -hmm. huge volumes of content because there's very few companies that aren't these days participating in some kind of content marketing whether that's blogs or white papers or whatever else it might be yeah But I think a lot of that content is really superficial in terms of the level of depth and value it's adding. So like you say, if you think through the strategy um, as to why you're doing it and who it's for and what value they need to be getting from it Mm -hmm. will lead you to creating better content that makes a difference. And whether that difference is getting thousands more downloads or whether that difference is just getting those few key customers to actually engage with it and, and because of that choose to buy from you again or choose to at least have a, a better perception of you, then that's where it can really make a difference.
1: But I think that, that's a, that's an interesting point it's in terms of quality over quantity, isn't it? And I think that, again, comes back to me with the, the ABM approach and be more targeted with your efforts. But just just linked on that point while we're on it, I saw something the other day, I can't remember, on one of the platforms or something. Somebody, it must be somebody that I follow or something or something. But it was in relation to that concept of um, like stop selling, start helping, which we've heard mm-hmm. over the years now, quite a bit, few times. And it said, stop selling and start educating. -hmm. And actually, it was something that just maybe you don't see much these days. It kind of cuts through the noise and makes you sit back and think about it. And actually, it's very relevant to the type of content you produce. Mm -hmm. So, helping educating, I know it's on the same kind of scale, but in the sense of even with the algorithms across some of the social media platforms these days, likes are being replaced by saves and shares and things like that with more important metrics to amplify the content further, which again shows that people tend to save if it's something that they can refer back to again, Mm -hmm. come back to, and it's an educative piece beyond just clickbait content which is yeah. what a lot of people what you were referencing there are guilty of just throwing content out there trying to get clicks likes traffic yeah. numbers up um so
0: i think I'm, I'm fairly sick of seeing the uh top five reasons to do this type thing and, and then the top five reasons are, are fairly superficial they don't add any value and it's just something anybody with yeah. Like... yeah but
1: it's the exact same thing as this in the sense of you know we put this out and we call this top 20 top 2021 trends everybody's discussing that and that's why i think it's sometimes interesting to pick them apart like we are doing here to go that's bs that is genuine that's you know that's yeah. something we can follow up with so
0: connected to that one again is is something that we've been exploring a little bit this year and is is something that I'm particularly interested in mm-hmm. is more interactive forms of content okay. so i think for for years obviously and, and we've talked about on a previous podcast we've seen white papers yeah. being kind of the go-to and b2b so just thinking through how can we can create something that's more interactive of which there are many forms of interactivity mm-hmm. um so apparently we're going to be seeing more of that in 2021 and i hope that's true yeah for, for us and our clients as well so what are your thoughts on that
1: Uh, I think overall it probably links back to cutting through the noise again so in the sense of but I also think it's the natural evolution of content supported by technology so I would say to cut through the noise you've got to be doing something different and differentiated so that's that goes for all marketing and all communications I would say Um, there's more and more people struggling to cut through the noise and I think particularly now with more and more people stuck at home more and more people working from home and with the inability to travel so people are consuming content more one-on-one at the desk space with a laptop, I guess. So you've got to work that bit harder again to make it engaging, to hold the attention of them if you're not in front of that person, which is why I think it needs to be more interactive. I think technology is enabling us to do that, but I also think it's heavily linked to more digitally savvy, digital natives coming of age Mm -hmm. who are either influencing the buying process, commanding the buying process, or controlling the buying process. And when you actually break it down to that kind of level, i think you're only going to see more because they demand more the mm-hmm. younger generations demand a higher quality of content yeah. so there will always be people who want a technical white paper I, that has its pl- obviously has its place particularly in the b2b space and some of the more mature individuals across our clients and prospects and listeners hopefully will will want that in that format they want a technical paper the younger guys want an interactive mm-hmm. engaging experience that makes things pop and yeah. and we always you know, try very much
0: here. on the buyer journey as well and where you are in that yeah. if i'm um, if I'm buying something technical mm-hmm. and I'm quite far down that journey and that I'm evaluating, point, yeah. either specifically buying that product or service yep. or, or comparing it versus another one, at that point, I probably want some detailed technical information. Yep. But when I'm earlier on in that process and I'm first learning or I'm doing very early stage comparisons, I'm probably more like interested in surface level content and not, not wanting to get so far into the technical side of it. And I think it's at that point that we could do with really trying to, like you say, cut through the noise and stand out I thought, I can only speak for myself really and say that I just, I'll, with best of intentions, I'll download a lot of white papers, I'll save a lot of blog posts and yep. I'll never go back to them. Yeah. So I really need something for me in that case to, to stand out. So when I go on it, it does something that makes me pay no, attention it, I, to
1: it. I think it's a good point. I, I save a lot. I share a lot, I bookmark a lot. Sorry, don't share a lot, I save a lot, and bookmark a lot of things, mm. put them in various folders of things that I'll come back to, but I never get back to them. Mm. Whereas if I'm really caught in it, I'll share, it. if it's with you, I'll share it with you there, and then and go, have you seen this? This is cool, or whatever. Mm. Whereas, as you say, you tend to bookmark and save and have good intentions, but never actually get to it, do you So, um, yeah. but, but I think it's a really strong point of mapping it to the way you are, but mapping it to the buyer's journey. I always come back to that, of like, what's the purpose? What's the objective? What's the purpose of it? What do you expect them to do next mm. um, and that's, that's quite often lacking in, that, in those circumstances, yep. I guess. So,
0: No surprise on the next one on the list, because I think it was number one on all the lists we looked at last year until presumably COVID shook everything up a little bit. Yep. It's going to be chatbots and conversational marketing. Yep. And I know we've talked about it a few times in the last year. We've actually had um, some uh, experience working with it this year. Yep. I know you've not been hands-on with all of it, but no, no. what have your... what have your? I think the continu- continues been- there
1: continues to be a scepticism around them still, I would say. And I think, again, that's linked to the the age of the users and the buyers, because I think the more mature guys have got more of a sceptical approach towards them and the younger generations and the modern B2B buyers are more akin to it because that's how they solve their personal issues. That's Mm -hmm. how they address things online in in their B2C lives as a consumer. They're used to chatbots now and they're on websites. I also think the lockdown, COVID, the pandemic has rapidly accelerated yeah. the digital adoption, including chatbots and including live chat mm-hmm. and, and different ways to, to quickly engage with people.
0: And I've seen that quite a lot, even with just being a, a consumer. A lot of, um, of shops that I've had to deal with in the last sort of six to nine months or so have, have basically forced you down the live chat route because that's what they've had to do to deal with the volume of inquiries that they're getting through. Yeah. So that means I'm more used to it. And therefore, I'm more likely to embrace and expect it from a B2B brand.
1: The thing that I'd say that's probably a bit controversial uh, is I don't buy into conversational marketing. That's what I would say, having thought about this a lot. So, chatbots are chatbots. That's what Mm -hmm. they are, that's what they do, and they serve a purpose. I wouldn't, I'd argue they can form part of the marketing mix, but they're not a marketing tool in my opinion Mm -hmm. they facilitate a conversation and they can push people towards content or towards a call to action or towards contacting you which is a facilitation of a of a Mm -hmm. interaction conversational marketing I think is actually where the skeptic comes up in me that you go is it a conversation it's not really it's a structured dialogue I guess in a way
0: I think it's more about it being a conversational style. So again, I'll talk about it from my point of view. But that's where the
1: skepticism is that it's a bot, isn't
0: it? If you know what I mean? I I do know what you mean. uh, So for me, it's more about it slightly elevates the experience Mm -hmm. instead of Mm -hmm. when you interact with it and you're seeing a decision tree and it's prompting you with messages. It feels more uh, or less formal, less Mm -hmm. like a a scary process and more like I'm engaging with, I know you're not engaging with another person, but it, it has more of that kind of feel to it which I think just slightly elevates the customer experience and left me, in the particular case I'm thinking of, left me like feeling really positive yeah, about yeah. about my interaction with, with a bot, whereas I think if I'd have filled in a form, mm-hmm. I'd have I also think, think if you
1: get it right, it works really well, and it's a slick experience like you've just described there. There's far too many people that don't invest enough time on it and get it considerably wrong, is what I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which and again we've talked about fuels this before that, yeah. is that
0: they're not quick and easy to set up. Yep. I think they can be a good tool and we've, we've seen them use quite success- successfully this year and we talked about just in the podcast that I think went out a couple of weeks ago that you know we were surprised to see people saying thank you to the bot all the time and things like that. So they're, they're also
1: not- quite expensive aren't they in the grand scheme of things I mean depending on people's budgets and yeah. individual needs as a, as a, as a par- part of that marketing mix which there's a skepticism associated with at the minute the pricing model of Quality chatbots, let's call it a quality yeah. chatbot software, is quite expensive. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another barrier to overcome in that area, particularly if there's still that skepticism around it. What I would say, as a, I don't, I don't think it's, I am a skeptic of it, but in the sense of, there's a slight skepticism there with me. They do work. That's what I'm saying. So I have a first-hand experience now through virtual visitor and the platforms we've done. They are working. They're great, a great adoption, great interactions with the customers. People are finding what they want with limited involvement from you. So I mean, it's it served its purpose for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: The next one is uh, something we've definitely covered in the last year or two Mm -hmm. and this is one I'd say I'm a lot bit more of a sceptic of at least from a B2B sense but we do see it keep coming up in lists and that's uh, voice search and and voice search marketing and and making that work.
1: Yep. I uh, from a B2B perspective I don't think we're there yet is my humble take on it I think there's some cool things you can try but I don't think it would lead to business or mm-hmm. sales generation or growth personally mm-hmm. I think it would make you look like you're at the forefront of digital transformation trying things and putting um, you know Amazon Alexa flash announcements out to your business and think there's loads of different things you can try with it mm-hmm. I just don't think it's there yet personally yeah. what I would say what I would say is and this is just anecdotally um, uh, I speaking to a friend the other day his daughter's working from home um, probably not a, a dissimilar age from. from um, your, your side of uh, your family and um, his daughter's doing this uh, at-, at home learning and school mm-hmm. education at the minute and she's been asked to find this, do this, search for this all on the internet so she's about, I think she's about nine, the, the girl, um, she's doing everything by voice which is just a, just a really mm-hmm. strange thing so I think we're a couple of generations out yet for, yeah. for that to really come to the forefront but she uses voice on her phone she uses voice on the laptop she uses voice to search the internet and it's just interesting that just even that maybe me triggered the thought in me that they're going oh is it that generation that's actually going to bring that to the forefront yeah. of B2B marketing but they're probably 10, five to ten years away I would think
0: mm-hmm. because apparently uh, in terms of numbers we're looking at having five billion voice searches mm-hmm. by the year 2021 yeah. which I suspect is considerably lower than um I, kind of I, I, I
1: use it now do you
0: I do uh, to be honest I would say I was a, probably a bigger user a year or two ago I okay. think I've slowly become more frustrated every time it makes uh assumes a word wrong or makes mm. a mistake I get a little bit more annoyed and yep. I'm less likely to use it next time yeah as I get random reminders on my phone like six hours later asking me to do something or buy something that's completely different
1: but it, I think even even the even the at-home speakers systems mm-hmm. so the Alexas and the home pods and apple pods are what they call now and the you know the google yeah. whatever they're called and um, all the different versions of them i think we've got too so many different infrastructures in our house at the minute we've got like one of each rather yeah. than rather than a consistent unified platform yeah, but those are forcing it a little bit That yeah. you're starting to get more comfortable i think song, we're still right?
0: probably I mean, using it um multiple times a day yeah. and i no longer feel completely stupid asking exactly. google to do something in public yeah, yeah. um yeah. but like you say i think we're probably still a number of years off that being a thing a big thing at least for B2B.
1: I think it's a consideration. So if you were thinking about updating your website at the minute and updating that journey and so on, it should be in the back of your mind that mm-hmm. voice search could could influence it going down the line if you're going to keep mm-hmm. that website for a longer period of time. I think probably the,
0: the but, earliest place we're likely to see that being used in B2B is, uh, if you think of any search result that you get on Google that has a rich snippet, for example, if you Google a definition of something, you'll see that definition come up in a box on Google instead of having to click through to a website. Yeah. If you can have educational content on your site that's structured in that way in terms of it being a couple of paragraphs explaining something yeah. that people are likely to search, that's where you're likely to have something that's going to come up in voice search.
1: I think that that's where you'll see it when it applies across social. That's when you'll see it when it cascades out through various products where somebody's more comfortable saying, show me articles on whatever it may be. Um, but again, I don't think, I don't, think we're and I don't think it's our generation so I think it, will, it is a continued thing to be monitoring but I don't think it's a hot trend I wouldn't say
0: something that'll come up on the list for probably a few years to come then
1: <laughs> I think so yeah but then it, I'm sort of smoking to myself here that you know the, the podcast we did about the pandemic last year when we were like this seems like something to keep our eye on <laughs> <laughs> voice search could be the explosive uh, piece of uh, kit that we, we're all missing at the minute but I doubt it highly doubt it
0: so the last one I'm going to pull out to, uh, today is something we've talked about quite a few times recently with clients and that's uh, data visualisation and yep. that being kind of one of the top wanted marketing skills of mm-hmm.
1: 2021 yeah I think I think that's where you're moving more toward the consultative the, the move where marketing is going of proving your worth mm-hmm. is what I would say so in the sense of I probably bleated on about it too much on previous podcasts but in the sense of marketers have hidden in the shadows for many years not wanting to be held accountable to their actions technology data analytics and now the visualization of that that follows on from that is is how we how we ultimately prove our worth so if you mm-hmm. can execute that and show that with confidence as, a, as an agency working with a with a company that one you 're not afraid to stand by those results two you 've got a slick sophisticated process of how you can bring that to life because people don't want reams and reams of analysis and paperwork and
0: it also takes a huge amount of time to put together mm-hmm. because I think part of data visualization is is often having all that data feeding in automatically yeah, yeah. and it helping you to Pull out some of that key information that you just don't have access to otherwise, because you know you want to make decisions based on, mm-hmm. you know, cost per leads or a yep. cost per acquisition or whatever it might be. But working out a cost per acquisition involves understanding what's converted in your Salesforce CRM, yep. Yep. understanding where that's come from, understanding not only the last touch point from a marketing point of view, but also the first touch point and everything else in between, yep. and getting into a bit of attribution modeling. Which, unless you're willing to go across five different systems and spend an awful lot of time analyzing that mm-hmm. regularly, yeah. it, it just isn't very practical to do. But Whereas I think, if you start having it in, visualized in yeah. the likes of Power BI or other uh, data visualization software, you can have that at your fingertips. You can filter it, see what campaigns are doing what, yeah. and yeah, start making decisions. But I, th- and, I think
1: that's the key point. It's great having these dashboards and great having that data beautifully prepared in a lovely visual format for you. You've got to look at it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the biggest thing, the biggest challenge at the minute that people are now getting, I want a dashboard, cool. Do you actually look at it? Do you analyse those results? Do you interpret them? And do you take some necessary actions to either improve them or optimise what you're doing? Um, and I think that is the... I know yeah. it sounds stupid, but everybody has lovely business plans, lovely reports, lovely board reports every month, but how many people really take the time to reflect yeah. on them?
0: Um, and and uh, I'd say with one of our clients, we went through quite a big exercise towards the end of last year of looking at what they'd have on a dashboard and mm-hmm. all the different stats and metrics that they'd want to, to include. Mm-hmm. And, and with them, the process worked really well. And I think one of the key things is really paring down what you might want to show on that dashboard, because mm-hmm. you can throw every stat at it that you want, but a lot of them don't mean that much, yeah. or they're interesting, but not useful. But that's where it needs that thought to care and consideration, not... We used to have this
1: report. Make that into a dashboard. Yeah. What's the important bits? What are the pe- what are the pages? And it's what we do with board reports and business plans and proposals. Of what are the three or four key pages that you turn to? And everybody mm. does it. If you watch yeah. a report, there three things that you actually look at. They're the three things that should be in the dashboard. Mm-hmm. Complemented by some other information, yeah. not War and Peace,
0: and understanding obviously how everything ties back to your business objectives. So,
1: and also benchmark. Ben, sorry, I was going to this all day now, but ben, benchmarking is important. So, having the dashboard is important. Having the data in a lovely visual format, but is it good, bad, indifferent against the industry and against your previous performance? Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Okay, and that's it from me in terms of trends. Matt, I will leave it to you to hand over since you've got it so perfectly memorised. Nicely done. (laughs)
1: Uh, Thanks for joining us this week, guys. Hopefully you found that useful for us to pick apart and play around with some of the predicted 21 uh, B2B marketing trends. Um, Join us next week. I'm not quite sure what we will be covering yet, but uh, in the planning process with that. But in the meantime, feel free to check out B 2 Com. Uh, our online ungated content help helping our clients, prospects and listeners navigate the ever-evolving B2B marketing landscape. So thanks very much. Thanks, Ollie. I'll see you next week. Thanks. Cheers.